I want to say good morning. I could only sleep last night because of what God did in our church, uh, both of our campuses yesterday. It was just magnificent. And uh, for all of those of you who took part and those who came and volunteered and worked and went out all over our county and our city, all the way to downtown Atlanta and everything you did, cannot thank you enough. I want to say good morning to those of our partners out at Mill Creek. And those of us who are at our Sugarloaf campus where I am and those who are watching online, we're so glad to have all of you with us on this beautiful, magnificent Christmas day and uh, our Christmas uh, time of the year. It's, God, it's just hard to believe. It just feels like we're living in West Palm Beach. It's so warm out there. But it's so great to have you. We're one church in two locations. We've got another campus about 20 minutes to the north of us. And so if you're not going to either campus, check us out. And I want you to see what God is doing. I love Christmas. It is my favorite time of the year, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, when you hear these words, and you've heard them many times before, and I'm not going to sing them, I'm, I'm in a good mood, but uh, you've heard them before, right? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost nipping at your nose. When you hear those words, you know it's that time of year again. And the Christmas song makes everybody's list of the favorite Christmas carols they love to hear. And that song magically captures this, this anticipation that kids have for this magical time of the year. This weekend, uh, Harper and Presley spent the night with us last night, and uh, one of their jobs, they know, when they, as soon as they walk in the door, they will go around and turn on all the Christmas lights. I always have to make sure they're all off until they get there. They just love to turn on the Christmas lights, and it's that time of, anticip of anticipation. And, and that Christmas song, you remember the lyrics, it really captures this perfectly. And I'll, again, I won't sing it, but you can hear it in your mind. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight. They know that Santa's on his way. He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh. And every mother's child is going to spy to see if, finish it for me, if reindeer really know how to fly. That's right. Thank you for not singing that. But you know, think about it. Everywhere you go, you just can't help. They'll put it in your mind everywhere. You think about Santa Claus. You think about reindeer. You think about a sleigh full of toys. And you can literally smell the anticipation and the expectation. And literally, if you walk past a Yankee candle store, right? I mean, you can just smell it. In fact, it's one of those ways that you can really tell whether you're younger or older. And I can tell you how you can know that. When you're younger, this is the question that you ask. Will Christmas ever get here? When you're older, the question you ask is, is Christmas here again already, right? I mean, that's really kind of the dividing line. Well, there was that same sense of anticipation for the first Christmas 2,000 years ago. As a matter of fact, I want you to imagine what it must have been like for every Jewish child 2,000 years ago. Because if you grew up in a Jewish home, there was a kind of a future story you were going to hear that was somewhat like Christmas, and you heard it all the time. It was even more wonderful and more awe-inspiring than the story of Santa ever could be. And, and parents would sit down with their children, and they would tell this story. And it revolved around a promise, and it revolved around a prophecy that we actually looked at last week. And if you missed last week or forgot, here's what it was. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, thousands of years, children in Jewish families, would, would they were taught that, hey, one day, God's going to send his Messiah. God's going to send a deliverer. God is going to send someone who's going to rule over the entire world. 
As a matter of fact, the Jewish people even had a holiday, even to this day, and a feast that they would that they would celebrate every year to keep this anticipation alive, to keep this expectation alive. But that even caused a problem because year after year and decade after decade and century after century, there didn't have been this expectation and this anticipation of this coming Messiah. And so people would ask in Jewish homes, will this be the year? Will this be the month? Will this be the week? Will this be the day? And would this be the time that the Messiah would come? And yet, for hundreds of years, thousands of years, generations came and generations went and still no Messiah. So for thousands of years, the Jewish people had been in the waiting room, but there was still no baby. And one of the hardest places in life to be is in the waiting room. The literal waiting room, we've all been there. And it's, a, it's, it's just, it's one of the most gut-wrenching, sweat-moving places you can ever spend time. Because you're in that waiting room and you want to know, you know, is, it, what the, what's the doctor going to say? Is the tumor malignant or not? Was the operation successful or not? Did my loved one live or die? And, 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 and of course, there are other waiting rooms in life too. Now, there are a lot of you, in, you're, in, you're in your own waiting room right now. Will you ever find a job? Will you ever get over this physical battle that you're fighting with this illness? Will you ever meet that someone that you can spend the rest of your life with? Will the check ever arrive that you need just so you can pay one more month of rent? And if you've ever felt the pinch of any of these waiting rooms, you know what those Jewish people would have felt like 2,000 years ago on that very first Christmas morning. So we're in a series, that, and that's one of my, I've, I've never enjoyed a series more on Christmas than I'm doing right now. We're calling it 3D Christmas, because we said last week, in order to understand the story of Christmas, you have to see it not in one dimension or two dimensions, you've got to see it in three dimensions. And we said last week that the first dimension of Christmas is actually a promise. It's actually a prophecy. And we went all the way back to the very beginning of time where there was this expectation and this anticipation that God was going to do something. And so right after Adam and Eve blew it in the Garden of Eden, God comes along. They don't, they're not even out of the garden yet, fresh, and still fresh from the garden. And God comes along and says, don't you worry. I'm going to take care of that serpent. I'm going to take care of sin. I'm going to take care of salvation. I'm going to send someone. He's going to become from this mother. You're not going to understand the way I'm going to do it because mothers don't have seed, but it's going to come from the seed of a woman. And I'm going to send this Messiah, and he is going to rule and reign forever and ever. So there was that first dimension. So there's that promise that's out there and this prophecy that's out there. There. And everybody is waiting and anticipating for the promise to be kept and the prophecy to be fulfilled. And so they've been in the waiting room all this time. They've experienced the first dimension. Now they're in the second dimension. And this is a message for all of us in this room and all of us at Mill Creek and those who are watching online and those who are watching on television. And you're in the waiting room in your life. And you're very, very frustrated. Because you need God to come through, and you need God to come through today. And you pray, and you beg, and you plead, and you look, and you watch. And yet you can't help but wonder, is God ignorant? Does he not know what I need? Or is God indifferent? He doesn't care what I need. Or is God impotent? 
He can't give me what I need. You may be sitting there right now and you may say, maybe say, man, that is me. Well, today, I want you, if you brought a copy of God's Word or an iPad or a smartphone, whatever you use, I want you to turn to a gospel in the New Testament. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want you to turn to the gospel of Luke. Because what we're going to do today is we're going to study two stories. One of a really old man and one of a really young girl. And both of those stories remind us that God always shows up on time. God always keeps his promise. And God knows exactly what he is doing. And for anyone who knows what it's like to sit in one of life's waiting room, if you're one of those people right now and you're in the waiting room of life and you need God to come through and give you that job, give you that check, heal your body, heal that loved one, take care of your marriage, whatever it is you're waiting on God to do, here's what I want you to remember. This is what we're going to learn today. Listen. Just wait, God is never late. Just wait, God is never late. So if you're in the waiting room of life today and you'd say, man, I'm telling you, I'm so frustrated. It just doesn't seem like God is even in my life right now. I have prayed, I pleaded, I begged, and nothing is happening. There's no sparks, there's no fire, there's no light. It's all dark. Three things I want you to remember, and you're going to learn it from these, these people today. Number one, you keep waiting because God is moving. You keep waiting, God is moving. Now we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 1 verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Now had you been reading this 2,000 years ago, these first few words right here would have absolutely broken your heart. Because when Luke wrote in the time of Herod, it would be like saying in the time or in the days of Attila the Hun, or in the days of Adolf Hitler, or in the days of Kim Jong II. I mean, those were not good days. It was a reminder that Herod was a Roman king that had been installed by Caesar because all of Israel, remember, was under the dominating rule of the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, the whole landscape, politically, spiritually, Financially, the whole landscape was very depressing for all of the Jewish people. They were under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And yet what was even worse was God had gone silent. For 400 years, not a word from God. For 400 years, not a witness from God. For 400 years, not a single prophet spoke a word from the Lord. 400 years, not a single miracle was seen from the hand of God. As a matter of fact, even angels had quit showing up. It's almost like heaven had just shut down and put up a big sign that said, out of business. And the glory days of Solomon and David were a distant memory. Remember, since they last had a king, the nation of Israel, you ready for this, had changed hands 25 times. They had become the whipping boy of everybody, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, and now the Romans. And they had just become one big carpet that people after people after people had trampled upon and stepped upon. And what happened was many of these Jewish people had just given up on God. They felt like either God has forgotten his promise or God has forsaken his people. 
Well, out of that dark picture, there's this wonderful couple, beautiful couple. His name was Zechariah. Her name was Elizabeth. And we read some words of very high praise about them, and, and it tells us a lot about them. Here's what Luke says about them. He says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, that tells you about all you need to know about them. They were good people. They were righteous. They kept all the decrees blamelessly. They were godly people. And, and as, I mean, look, you just don't get a whole lot better than righteous and blameless. If somebody says about, if, if somebody were to say about me, hey, you know James Merritt? Yeah. Well, what do you know about him? Well, I just know two things. He's righteous and he's blameless. Well, I'll tell you, I'm good to go. That's, that's great. I mean, it just doesn't get much better than that. I mean, they were wonderful people. And unlike a lot of their friends, they hadn't given up on God, at least in one way. They still believed God was going to keep his promise. They still believed that God was going to send the Messiah. They both held out hope. God was not finished with the nation of Israel. But now, they were another story. Because here's the next thing we read about them in verse 7. But they were childless. Because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Now, there was one blot and there was one blemish on the record of their life according to the cultural standards of their day. They had no children. And oh, by the way, you notice how Elizabeth is singled out and not Zechariah? Can I tell you why? Because back in that day, if a woman and a man, if a married couple could not have a child, I'll give you two guesses who got the blame and the first one doesn't count. Who do you think got the blame? Yeah, the woman got the blame, right? The woman always got the blame. They, they felt like if you're a woman and you couldn't have a child, you were cursed by God. And what people would really believe in their heart was, I know why you're not having a child. I know why you're barren. You've done something wrong. You tick Santa Claus off. He's not going to bring you anything. He's not going to bring that child that you want. You may look like you're righteous and blameless on the outside, but you've done something bad on the inside because women were always to blame. doesn't matter how they lived. It doesn't matter how religious they were, how devoted they were. There's something wrong with you because you cannot have a child. So you've got this couple, and they're devoted. They're sold out to God. They're faithful on Sunday. But on Monday, they're so discouraged. They're so despondent. They're so defeated. They're so depressed because they can't have children. And they began to doubt what God was doing in their life. Now, we go on to read that Zechariah was faithfully fulfilling his duties as a priest. As a matter of fact, he was given the duty twice a year to go into the temple and burn incense. Well, here's what happened. While he's doing his duty, while he's being faithful to God, while he's not stewing in his own bitterness, while he's not letting depression get him totally down, while he's doing what God has called him to do, while he's in that temple serving God, here's what happens. Now watch this. <clears throat> there are a lot of words in the Bible you blow over and you don't think they're a big, big deal. This is a big deal. As a matter of fact, it's such a big deal. Just say that one word with me. Ready? Then. Because that's not a big deal. Oh, that's a big deal. And it's a big deal because of the next words that you read. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Time out. Nothing like this had happened for 400 years. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar 
of incense. Now, don't miss the significance of that verse. Remember, heaven had gone silent for 400 years. Not a word, not a witness from God for four centuries. And you got all these Jewish people out there. Oh, they're going through their religious motions. They're going to the synagogue and they're going to the temple and they're offering their sacrifices on the outside. But here's what they're saying on the inside. God's dead. Heaven's out of business. God's forgotten. God's forsaken us. The dream has died. God's promise is empty. And then all of a sudden, to the least likely of people, in the least likely of places, at the least likely of times, this angel shows up. And as you're going to see in just a moment, he makes an announcement that's going to start a chain reaction that will change the world forever. Because the last thing that anybody expected to happen, especially Zechariah, was for an angel of God to show up and tell him, something is about to happen, Zechariah, to you and to Elizabeth, that you had long ago given up on. You long ago had made up your mind was absolutely impossible from a physiological and a human standpoint. And you know what, Zechariah, you're right. From a human standpoint, from a medical standpoint, from a physiological standpoint, there is no way this is going to happen. No way, Jose, it's going to happen. However, Zechariah, you forget something. God is not bound by physical principles. And God is not bound by human perspective. And even though Zechariah and Elizabeth had been waiting for a child, just like Israel had been waiting on a Messiah, they're about to learn a lesson that I told you to learn now, right now, and keep this in mind. When you're waiting, God is moving. When you're waiting, God is moving. Let me tell you something about God. God's never idle. God never takes a vacation. God never takes a coffee break. God is always moving in your life even when you don't know it. You may sit there right now and you say, well, Pastor, I'll be honest. I don't hear him moving. I don't see him moving. I don't feel like he's moving. I don't think he's moving. Okay, here's a quarter. Call somebody that cares. And I don't mean that to be ugly. It doesn't matter what you think, feel, or, or, or see, or don't see. God is moving in your life. You keep waiting. Here's the second thing you're going to learn. Keep working because God is listening. Keep waiting. God's moving. Keep working. God is listening. Now, get this in your mind. Elizabeth and Zechariah have been praying for a long time for a child. Now, how do you know? How do I know that? Because we're told repeatedly, Luke keeps reminding us, they are well advanced in years and they are very, very old. As a matter of fact, in the Greek language, it gives you the idea that they were somewhere in their 90s. They were probably in their late, early to mid 90s or both about 90 plus years old. Because, and now think about this. Back in that day, you got married very early, usually in your, in your very early teenage years. Well, if they got married in their mid to early teenage years, as most couples did, that means that they had been praying for a child somewhere around 70 to maybe 80 years. They had been praying 70 to 80 years for a child. and still no child. Now, here's what I want you to learn. I want you to see this. Zechariah could have done what a lot of ministers have done. He could have quit the ministry. Randy, you work with preachers. You, you're, you're, Randy's one of my best buddies here, works at our Georgia Baptist Convention, and he goes around and he works with pastors, and Randy knows this. There are 1,700 ministers that leave the ministry every month. Think about that. I'm, all denominations, 1,700 ministers leave every month. And I don't know why all of them leave, but I'll tell you why some of them leave. Because they're just discouraged 
They'd given up on God. They thought to themselves, I preach the word, I witness, I pray, God's not moving. And, and they think to themselves, why serve God? What good, what good does it do to be righteous and holy and fulfill my calling if God's not going to answer my prayer, if God's not going to give me all the people that I want? What good is it to live for me anyway? It happens with you. I've seen people, I've seen it time after time in my ministry. People come to church and all of a sudden they quit coming to church. You know why they quit coming? Because God didn't come through for them the way God, he want, they wanted God to come through. God didn't heal my wife. God didn't take care of my grandson. God didn't let God let me lose my job. And so what do they do? They just totally give up on God. Well, I want to give, I want to give Zachariah his props. He hadn't had a child. He's been praying for 70 years. God has not heard, he evidently hadn't heard one word that he said. As a matter of fact, it seems like God has just flat said no. But here's Zechariah, he's still working, still fulfilling his calling, and he's still praying. You watch this? Now, then the angel said this. Now, watch this. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer, read these three words with me, has been heard. Just keep that in mind. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now listen, I think that is, is, is it, I think we're supposed to keep reading here, aren't we? Is there another, guys, there's another scripture back there? All right, I guess not. So I'll just read it myself. Okay, here we go. You will call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents of their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now look what happened. God more than answered their prayer. He didn't just give them what they asked for. He gave them something even better than what they asked for. He said, you know, y'all been praying for a child well, you're not just going to get just an ordinary run-of-the-mill child. Let me tell you the child I'm going to give you. God's going to give you a child that will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he comes out of his mother's womb. God is going to give you a child that he's going to use to turn many people back to the nation to, uh, uh, in Israel to God. He's going to give you a child that will never know what it's like a day of his life not to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. See, here's what I want you to understand. Israel had turned their back on God. Because they thought God had turned his back on them. But God never turns his back on us. Ever, ever turns his back on us. He's always listening to our prayers. Listen, even when you doubt God, God says, I'm listening. Even when you, even when you just say, I'm not even going to tell you about what I need anymore, God says, that's okay. I'm still listening. Even when you say, I'm, you know, I'm going to give up on church, I'm giving up on this, God says, that's okay. I am still listening. Even when you doubt me, even when you disbelieve me, I am still listening. Now, watch this. Look how, look how Zechariah responds. This is kind of funny. Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. Now, you should have just stopped right there. This guy doesn't get it. He, 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 he'd been married 70 years, and he hadn't learned a lot in marriage. He says, and my wife is well along in years. Now, let me tell you what Zechariah said. He said, you think I'm old. You ought to see her. I'm old. She is well advanced in years. Now, here's an angel of God telling him he's going to have a baby. And he still doesn't believe it. But what's even worse is his reasoning. He says, look, I, I'm old. 
But I think, <laughs> he said, look, I'm old. And I think I'm up to it. But my wife is so old, Moses is in her yearbook. I mean, she is old. Now, Zechariah, you may be a righteous man. You're not a smart guy. I'm just saying, you don't, you don't, you know, I, I'm just, I, I, every time I read this, I go, God, thank you that Elizabeth was not around to hear that. Because you husbands take notes. Let me get, this is a little, now I'm going to take time out for a little marriage counseling. When you, men, if you're married, when you're talking to your wife, or you are talking about your wife, be as wise as a serpent, be as harmless as a dove. The season for gaining weight had just passed. It was right after Christmas. This wife put, a, put on a brand new dress. She looked at her husband, and she asked a question that could bring instant death. She said to her husband, honey, do I look fat in this dress? The husband thought for a moment, pointed to his shirt, and said, do I look stupid in this shirt? Now, one of the principles, this is just a little side note. I've learned this in my marriage. Better to die a liar than to live an honest man. Okay, that's just a, that's just a thought, okay? All right, now, better to live a liar, I should say, than die an honest man. Now, Zechariah does have a point. He does have a point. He said, look, the ground is no longer fertile. The seed is no longer fresh. The farmer is no longer full of energy. And yet, you're going to tell me we can still expect a crop? I mean, are you really being serious? Now, listen to the angel's response. Listen to what he says. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true. Now watch this. At their appointed time. He calls a technical on Zechariah. He calls a timeout. He says, all right, I'm going to shut your mouth. You go to timeout, Zechariah. You're not going to be able to say a word until that little baby is born. Because listen to those last words, which will come at their appointed time. God had marked this day on his calendar long before Zechariah had ever been, ever been born, long before Elizabeth had been born, long before John had been born. And listen to this. He had been listening to every prayer for 70 years. He heard every word. He had been moving in the events of the world. He had been moving the chess pieces around the board. He had been moving in the hearts of the rulers in power to bring both Elizabeth and Zechariah and Israel to this point in time. Now listen. I'm going to put something on the screen, and if you don't get anything else I say, I want you to get this. I want you to learn this. God does not always do what we want him to do when we want him to do it. But when he does what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, it is what we would have wanted all along. Now, I'll tell you, that's good if it is come from me. I'm telling you, that's good, all right? God does not always do what we want him to do. When we want to do it, but when he does what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, it is what we would have wanted all along. And listen to this. All this is just a warm-up. He said, Zechariah, I'm going to give you Elizabeth a child. He's going to be filled from the Holy Spirit before he comes out of the womb. He'll never know a day when he's not full of the Spirit of God. He's going to be a forerunner of the Messiah. I'm going to use him to bring many to turn back to God. He, it's going to be unbelievable. And it was God's plan all along. Because I want you to listen to this. Everybody knows that God has a plan, right? 
But what we don't sometimes forget is how God keeps, how God fulfills his plan. You know how God fulfills his plan? God always fulfills his plan by keeping his promises. That's the way God does it. God makes a promise. His promise is a part of the plan. His promise is a foundation of the plan. So I know that God's going to fulfill his plan for my life because God always keeps his promises. What was God's plan for the world? We found it all the way back in Genesis. God's plan for the world then and the world now is to redeem us. So he sent Jesus the first time. God's plan is to rule over us. He's going to send Jesus the second time. And so we know, you say, how do you know that Jesus is coming back the second time? Because he came the first time. If he came the first time, he'll come back the second time. And so all of this, now listen, all of this is just a setup for the climax of the story because there's one other person still be, to be considered that gives us something else to remember when the waiting room, all right? So I, we've learned from Zechariah and Elizabeth, you keep waiting, keep waiting, God is moving. You keep working. God is listening. Here's the last thing. You keep watching. God is coming. You keep watching. God is coming. Now, six months after the angel's conversation with Zechariah, this takes place, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, I tell you what I love. Gabriel's back again. He's just been there. He was just there six months ago. And now Gabriel is back again. You know, I would have loved to have had his frequent flyer miles. I mean, you talk about a guy that had it made. You talk about a guy, he must have been a triple diamond, double platinum, 24-karat gold elite customer. I'm sure he always flew first class. Now, but let me tell you one thing to remember. Every time you come across an angel in the Bible, and especially Gabriel, remember this. If an angel ever shows up and talks to you, it's a good day. And if he says, I'm Gabriel, it's going to be a really good day. All right? So Gabriel shows up. He says, I am Gabriel. And does he ever have good news for this little virgin teenage girl? Verse 30. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, put your, listen, just get a front row seat right here. Here is a young girl, maybe about 14 years of age, maybe 15 tops. She's never physically known a man. She's going to have a baby. And, and this promise is even harder to believe than Zechariah's. Because here's this teenage virgin girl. Most likely illiterate, couldn't even sign her name. She is a nobody from a nobody family, from a nobody town. And she's not just going to have a baby. She's going to be the mother of this Messiah that the Jewish people have been waiting on for thousands and thousands of years. This little boy is going to be the Messiah of the Jewish nation, the Savior of the world, the Lord of the universe, the King of kings, who's going to rule a kingdom that will never end. Now think about this. There hadn't been a king in Israel for 600 years. 
The nation is now under the domination, uh, under the domination of the most powerful empire in the world. And now an angel comes and says to, to this illiterate, poor peasant girl, Mary, your womb is about to become a palace that is going to give birth to the king of all kings and the king of all nations. Now, I just want you to hear, listen to this. When you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, you get the first and second dimension. You get the first dimension of Christmas. Now you get the second one. Because from the time that God first lit that sun and hung it in the sky, from the time that God created the first man and the first woman, from the time that the first man and the first woman blew it all and rebelled against God, God had a plan to bring the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord into the world. And he was going to do it through a virgin teenager. Now, if you're Mary, you're going to ask a question, and it is a natural question. And by the way, it's never wrong to ask God this question when, th when your things are not going well in your life, and yet you believe that God's going to work it out. This is always a good question to ask. There's nothing wrong with it. Here's what Mary said. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. She says, I'm a virgin. Well, she's right. She asked a great question. Because physiologically, we know this can't happen. Scientifically, we know this can't happen. Biologically, we know this can't happen. By, by, by any logical measurement, we know this can't happen. So how will this be? Well, the angel gives her not a physical or a medical or a logical answer. He gives her a theological answer. Here's what he says in verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, let me just be honest. From a medical point of view, there is no explanation to this. From a biological, physiological, logical point of view, there is no explanation to this. But let me tell you, there is one explanation that, in my opinion, should satisfy any doctor, any gynecologist, any pediatrician, any human being. Here's the explanation. For nothing will be impossible with God. End of discussion. Nothing will be impossible with God. Now I want you to listen. I want you to kind of focus on that and remember it. That verse, that one single sentence right there, that's the punchline of this entire story. That's the punchline for Zechariah and Elizabeth. That's the punchline for Mary. That's the punchline for you and me. Nothing is impossible with God. You really don't know what Christmas is all about? It's real easy. It's about that right there. Every time you look at that baby in that cradle and you realize he had to be changed, he had to be fed, he had to be clean, he had to be washed, he had to be taken care of. Yes, he did because he was human, but he was also God. And you say that is impossible. It is until you bring him into the picture because nothing will be impossible with God. And that is the theme of the word of God from beginning to end. We go, the, go back to the very beginning. What do we learn? God can take nothing and create everything. God can take an old man and an old woman in their 90s and give them a child. 
God can take a virgin like Mary and give her the Messiah that the world has been waiting for. God can even take on human flesh and come into the world as a man just like us. God can rise from the dead. God can forgive any sin because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. There's nothing impossible with God. So let me tell you, let me give you some good news. Let me give you an encouraging word. Christmas is exhibit A, that when you're in the waiting room, no matter how long you've been waiting, never give up. You keep waiting because God is moving. You keep working. God is listening. You keep watching. God is coming. Now, let me wrap this up. This, I love this part of the story. I didn't know this until I studied this, this particular message several weeks ago. I didn't even know this myself. Do you know what the name Zechariah means? The name Zechariah means, you ready for this? You ready for this? This is so good. This is what we're coming for right here. The name Zechariah means God remembers. Isn't that sweet? God remembers. God remembers every promise that he makes, and God keeps every promise he remembers. So, kind of wrap this up, I got a little cute question for you. You know, you can turn on almost anything, TV, radio, whatever, go on the internet. Christmas music is everywhere, right? If you got Siri, if you got Sirius, I've got Sirius radio in my car, that's all out radio. There's two stations devoted just to Christmas music. And there's always, you know, one or two stations in Atlanta, they're always playing Christmas music this time of year. What if there had been Christmas music like we have today, 2,000 years ago at that first Christmas? I just wonder, I wonder how Nat King Cole would have sung it 2,000 years ago. I don't know, but since I'm preaching, I'll make the decision. Let me give you my idea of how the lyrics would have gone. I think they would have sounded like this. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight. They know that Jesus is on his way. He's bringing lots of love and grace to save the day. And every mother's child is going to spy to see if angels really know how to fly. Well, they do. And they'll show up in your waiting room at just the right time. And when they show up, this is what they're going to tell you. Even though you didn't believe it, even though you didn't see it, even though you couldn't feel it, and even though you didn't know it, God's always moving, God's always listening, and God's always coming, and he'll always show up at just the right time because he always keeps his promises. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you know why some of you may be in the waiting room right now? You know why... It seems like that your prayers are like rubber balls bouncing off concrete walls. You know why? Because you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that's why God's just waiting. You think you're waiting on God, He's waiting on you. Because let me tell you this, we wouldn't have read this story, and it wouldn't even be in the Bible, if Zacharias and Elizabeth and Mary did not know God, but they knew the Lord. They were waiting on that Messiah. They believed in Him. 
Well, now we're not in the first dimension. We're in the second dimension. They were waiting on him to come. We now know he has come. The question is, what are you going to do about him? If you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you a chance to do that. That lady that we gave the car to up at Mill Creek, we gave her the keys to the car. She was sitting in it, and I walked over to her, and I said, I've got a big question for you. I want to know, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because what does it profit you for us to give you a car and you lose your own soul? That's the question. And if today, deep down in your heart, you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God's not your Father till you become a part of His family, and you don't get into His family until you come through Jesus. And what Christmas is all about, I told you there's three dimensions. It's not just that Jesus was born. That's just dimension one. Dimension two is he died for our sins. And dimension three is he was raised from the dead. That's the story of Christmas. And if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, I just want to give you the chance to do that right now. And you can do it so simply by just praying this prayer with me right now. It's a prayer... Kind of like I prayed when I was a nine-year-old boy. Just something like this. Lord Jesus, I really need you. I've been in the waiting room, I realize now, all of my life. And I, now I know you're the one I've been waiting for. I believe you were born of a virgin. I believe you lived a perfect life. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that God raised you from the dead. I believe that you're alive right now. And today, I ask you to come into my heart. And I ask you to save me. And I ask you to forgive me. Today, I want to receive the greatest Christmas gift of all. The gift of eternal life. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me today. Give me the power of repenting and turning away from what I used to be. And may that same Holy Spirit that came to that little girl come to me right now and give me the power to live for you. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want you to do something right now, okay? There is a registration card that was attached to your worship guide. We talked about it a moment ago. I want you to do something right now. You're not going to bother anybody. I want you to do it right now. I want you to tear that card off. Just tear it off right now. There's a pen or a pencil. It'll be in a seat right in front of you. Take a pen or a pencil is what I want you to do. If you prayed to receive Jesus today, if you prayed with me and gave your life to Christ, I want you to sign your name. I want you to fill it out, give us some contact information. There's a box there that says to